Good morning. Seem to have a disturbance on the voice. Worse than normal, not just my accent. Got some electronic stuff going. It's good to see you all. Um, feel free to come a bit further forward if you'd like to. Uh, we seem to be very... Yeah, come forward, Paul. I, I, won't, I won't have to look at you. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah, go and play the drums if you like. Yeah, Dennis and June, you're way back. What's going on? Just a little bit worried, you know. <laughs> oh, you can get out quicker, is that what you're saying? Oh, the screen, okay. To scream anymore, hopefully. Good, well, it's good to have... Right, I'm going to see if I can work this timing thing out. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll set it to two and a half hours, and then we'll see how we go. That's lovely. Well, I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you found yourself in a bit of a battle in the last little while um, to, to live out your Christianity, to, to be alive, to be just a person about. about I don't know if, has anyone, perhaps I won't ask for, for um, um, Joyce had a battle to stay warm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, battle is a normal part of life, isn't it, as a Christian? We can't get away with it. If we're not battling, it's a famous equation. Someone went to the a, a preacher and said, I'd like you to pray that I would have no more battle in my life. He said, well, I'm going to have to pray that you'll die. So we don't want to die, but we do want to learn to deal with the battle and the opposition that comes, to, comes upon us, don't we? Yeah, so that's what I'm going to be talking into. And the way I'm going to get into this is through uh, a story, or a, not a story, because if I say story, you think it's not true, but a, a historical event in the history of Israel. And we know that the, everything in the Bible is written for our instruction, to equip us, to enable us to live uh, more righteously. And um, I'm fighting with a little blonde girl. It's very hard at the moment, isn't it? She's a lot more attractive than me. So if I can have your attention back, that would be very nice. So yes, Jesus said, in the world, you'll have trouble. That's nice, Jesus. Thank you for that. But, he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Good, isn't it? And just as we start, I want to just uh, put up there, the is the Lord's. He is fighting for us. Jesus has won the victory. D sings that great song. He is fighting for us. And he gets going on that. It's great, isn't it? And we need to learn to stand and abide in the victory that he has won. We're not meant to be under the cosh. We are in a battle, but we're on the victory team. The enemy who's against us has been defeated. And so if we put into practice the things that are in the word, we can be on top, below, the head, not the tail, all those kind of things. Okay? So, as I say, we're going to look at through a story, a historical story, and it's found in Ezra. You turn to it if you like. Tell if you if you feel if you think to yourself, I wonder what on earth that boy was on about. Um, perhaps read the, the beginnings of Ezra, and you might it may, might make more sense. Did but hopefully, what I'll say will make sense well. Where I'm going to read a little while is in Zechariah 3. Um, so you might be better off finding Zechariah 3. Sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the context of Zechariah 3 is found in Ezra. It would be a better way of me saying it. 
And if you know much about of the Jewish nation, they, they went up and down a little bit, didn't they? They spent in the land, spent time in Israel. Not to, and he told them, if you walk in these, uh, these things will come upon you. Uh, the curse is not the blessings. So Jews had gone into exile. They'd gone in a few different tranches. Um, but eventually, most of them were in Babylon. Um, we get that Psalm, uh, Psalm 137, about singing the songs of Zion in Babylon. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? They're, they're, they're in, they're, they've been punished. But they're told that it's going to be 70 years of exile. That's in Jeremiah and also in Daniel, because Daniel's a and says it's prophesied that there's a gentleman called Cyrus, called Cyrus, who's been uh, crucial in them coming. And if he he makes a proclamation to so years, and he sends he's not a Christian king, pagan king, if you like, Persians, he sends Jews back to Jerusalem to uh, to build the temple and to build the city. And that's what happens. As a little aside, just for um, when I first was involved in the hot sausage company, which is which is what I did for quite a long time. When I first came, when I first started, I had a site that was opposite Paper Chase, where the red telephone boxes are now. Um, and at that time, you could go anywhere, um, and apart from there's a little golden triangle you couldn't go in. But the council decided, in their wisdom, which was great, probably. But down of hot food sites, we were hot food traders to uh, to make there was a really, really good city. There was about ten or eleven traders, and uh, traders. But my boss got the met of the not to his face, obviously. And it was very, very much a time when God vindicated us and gave us the best three sites in Cambridge as a company, um, and we never looked back. I, to where it is now, outside Holy Trinity, outside Woolies as was, outside, which is now next. And we never looked back. It was a fantastic time of being in the right place at the right time, of making money, because no one else was really doing food at that time. It's very different now. But we used to joke that this guy was called Cyrus, because he, even though he wasn't a Christian, he didn't know much about us, he stood in our behalf, and he, he kind of was fought for us, if you like. So that's Cyrus. So Cyrus sent the Jews back to Jerusalem, and they came back in various churches again. So the first lot came, and then different times, find that different, they came back in different ways, and things happened. But the first thing they did when they returned to Jerusalem, it says that the fear of God was upon them, so they built the altar, and they set in place the worship on the altar. So the first thing they did was they built the altar, restored worship to Jerusalem. And in some ways, some of us have lived a long time, we've seen that God's been working in, in our country and our history in restoring worship, restoring the altar. And it, it's almost like then he moves on and, and perhaps we've been rebuilding the church, although the church or the temple hasn't been very receptive to being rebuilt and it's been a bit choppy, but that's what God's been about. So he restored worship and he wanted to restore the house of the Lord and eventually restore the city, which is what he did in Nehemiah. But back then they restored the uh, the altar, they worshipped, they celebrated the Feast of Booths, and there was great rejoicing because of what God had done. God had sent them back, restored them. They'd been waiting all this time 
Um, and then they built the foundation of a temple. And again, there was great joy. But it said the older people who'd seen the previous temple were crying because, you know, the glory of the new, is it going to be like the old? But the younger were rejo- And there was a whole rejoicing and weeping. But things were good. And we're going to build the temple. But, and there's usually a but in the stories, isn't there? Whenever there's a work of God, whenever God is working, whenever we're working with God, whenever we're with God, there's always opposition, isn't there? Yeah, have you noticed that? And in a sense, that shows we're alive, and it shows we're kicking, it shows we're walking with God. We, we, we should rejoice that there's opposition, because the enemy's worried about us. We have to worry if there's no opposition to our lives, because what are we actually doing? If everything's rosy and we're just sailing down the river and, and the sun is shining, no opposition. You need to just question what you're doing. Are you really doing what God's asked you to do, or are you just conforming to the world? But there was opposition to the temple. And as you read through um, Ezra, you'll see that quite a few things happened. The first thing the enemies of the Jews did, who were around, they befriended them. And they said, oh, let us work with you on the building of the temple. We're good builders. We we want to see this temple restored. Let's work with you. Their response was, no way, Jose. If he was a prophet at the time. I'm not sure if Jose was a prophet, actually. Mexican prophet, was he? I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, no way, Jose. See, we alone will build the temple, as Cyrus commanded us. So he said the people of the land tried to discourage them. They troubled them in the building. Hired counselors against them to frustrate them. So the people didn't want this. People around them didn't want this. Not the Jews, but the, you know, the nations around. They didn't want the temple built, so they worked against it. Then the next thing they did, in the reign, because this happened over a period, in the reign of Hazur, something like that, they wrote to him of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So they wrote to the king, you know, typical playground bully. They can't get you to stop, so they go to the headmaster or the teacher and, and, and dob you in. That's what they tried to do, go to the teacher. Um, but nothing seemed to come. But which was another king, they wrote a letter to the king, said, search in your annals what they like. Uh, um, seditious and rebellious people. They build, pay taxes, they'll be a thorn in your side. You search in your annals. So, letter came back for the king. Yes, I've searched in, my, in the annals. Stop the work. Stop the work. And so the enemies were delighted to go and enforce the stopping of the work is what they did. And it says the work stopped until the second year of King Darius. Now, if I were really good at research and stuff, I'd be able to tell you how long that was. But this one, I couldn't find very quickly how it was. But it was a period because it was the second year of King Darius. It was at least two years and probably quite a bit more. So the work was stopped for a while. But God was on the case, and if you look, I said, no, don't look at Ezra, but I'm going to read to you Ezra 5, 1 to 2. The work has stopped. The enemies around have prevailed. It says, then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, 
rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So the work stopped, the prophets come, and I don't know if you've read Haggai and Zechariah, two very different prophets. I really love this kind of period of the history. I love Haggai. It was one of my favorite things. You know, why are you living in your paneled houses when the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Look to your ways. Look at the things that have happened to you. You've got all this seed. You've sowed it. You've got no return. And God was saying to them, you need to get on and build through Haggai. You get on and build. And through Zechariah, very different. But look at what Zechariah said in a little while. But to finish the story, um, they began to get on with the work again. They began to get up and, and rebuild. And it said the prophets built with them. It was interesting. We tend to think of prophets of ethereal kind of people who just bring the word of the Lord and then off they go. That's sometimes what they're like these days. But it's interesting. The prophets rolled up their sleeves and they built together of the word of the Lord. Because what I to say was two key people were Zerubbabel, who was the uh, governor of the Jews, and Jehoshadak, or not Jehoshadak, who was the high priest. So anyway, they started to build. The people around still not very happy, and they still try and, and, and stop the work happening. But it says the eye of the Lord was on them, and they weren't able to prevent them stopping the work until they'd written to the king again. So again, the same old tactics. They write king, King Darius. King Darius, check them out. They say they're, they're working to the degree of Cyrus. Can you check it out, please? Um, and, bloody and King Darius check it out, finds a proclamation and sends back to these uh, enemies around them, stay away from the work. Leave them alone. And not only that, I want you to provide everything they need from, from the taxes, from the coffers. You are going to provide all that they need to build the temple of the Lord. So that's, that's pretty good, isn't it, that, the, that he, he did that. So, um, the temple was completed. So much joy. And then if you know the story, later on, another tranche of the Jews come back under Nehemiah and they build the city. And that's great as well. But I don't want to, to go into that. But I just want to quote it. Ezra 6, it says, So the elders of the Jews built, and they spread through the crying of Haggai and Zechariah, and then further on, so they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, of Persia. And I think one of the reasons why Darius said he wants it to be finished was he wanted them to pray for the king and the sons of the king that they would prosper. But as I said, any work of God, any working of God, any walk with God is going to be challenged. The enemy doesn't want uh, God's work to prosper. He doesn't want us to prosper. Um, and so he will come against it. And he will use people and circumstances to hinder, intimidate, bully, and prevent the work. They're lovely words, aren't they? Intimidate, hinder, bully. Just the kind of things we want on a Tuesday morning. When the sun's shining, isn't it? A bit of hindering and bullying going to stop us going on with the work of the Lord. But it takes faith and in the rema of God. But I want to look today at a specific aspect of the battle that was going on. Because I've said about Haggai. Haggai came with very much a, uh, what are you doing? 
you're living in your beautiful t houses and the house of the Lord is in ruins, uh, look to your ways. And they do look to the ways and they, they rebuild the temple. That's in Haggai. But Zechariah, he doesn't seem to come with such practical application. He's much more kind of up there. He comes with visions. He's got seven visions that he brings to them. And I want to look at just one. And it's in Zechariah 3. And it's, in my Bible, it's a vision of the high priest. Does anyone know what the high priest was called? Was anyone listening to me a minute ago? Jeshua. Yeah, that was a trick question, actually, because in this thing, he's called Joshua. They change his name. That's annoying, isn't it, when you do that? But Jeshua, Joshua, the same character. But yes, it's Joshua. It says, oh, dear, my page is turned over. Then, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away his filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And, and it goes on there, which I, I won't read, just for a moment. So, just to re recap the story, we've got Joshua the high priest standing before the Lord. He's got filthy robes on. And those filthy wasn't just like he rolled in the dirt a bit. It was kind of like a human excrement and vomit. That was the kind of stuff that was on it. Was, it was not nice. It's not the kind of thing you talk about at your Sunday lunch, is it? So, don't talk about it at your Sunday lunch. But it, it, was, it was horrible. It was, it was slimy and nasty. So, and, and the... And Satan, which means accuser, was standing beside him, accusing him. Yeah? And that's what Satan does, yeah? Satan is the accuser. The accuser of the brethren talks about him, doesn't it, in Revelation? Actually, in the Old Testament, it's not necessarily a person, but it's the accusation. And, and in court, they used to have that accuser. It was almost like the, the, the prosecution would come and accuse and say, look, you, this guy has got filthy robes. But it says, uh, the Lord rebukes him. In our parlance, he says, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Yeah? But they say, the Lord rebukes you. Because it was the angel of the Lord he was before, which might be a theophany. <laughs> Some people say the angel of the Lord is a theophany, don't they? Which is actually a, a pre-incarnation Jesus. But I'll leave that with you. The theologians can think about that for a little while. And... They take his filthy robes off and put rich festal robes on him and a clean turban on his head. And he says that he's a branch, a brand, plucked from the fire. Which, which famous preacher used to think of him, talk of himself as a brand plucked from the fire? Anyone know? Sorry? Wesley. Wesley, because Wesley actually was saved from a fire when he was about 12 in the vicarage at Epworth. He was rescued from a fire. But he used to talk about himself as a brand. Maybe Wigglesworth would do as well, but certainly Wesley did. 
So the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, seeks to destroy the works of God and his people. He is behind the resistance that comes. The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood, do we? So it might be your wife that's saying the words or your friend that's saying the words, but it's, we're not fighting against them. We're fighting the accuser, the spirit behind it. And sometimes the battle is from people and from circumstances. But often, and what I want to talk about today, the battle's within, within, where within is. You know, not, not from the outside. The enemy accuses us. You're filthy. You're unclean. You're not worthy. How could you stand? How can you stand in this worship meeting when you did what you did yesterday? When you spoke to your wife like that? When you spoke to your husband like that? When you, whatever you did, and there's an accusation, you're not worthy. You shouldn't be here. You might as well go home. Look at all these lovely people around you. They would never do anything like that. If they just knew what you were like, they would shun you immediately. Uh, no. Because some of us are probably worse, actually. And what he's trying to do is to make us back down. To make us withdraw and give up. I'll never be good enough. I'll never succeed. You know, the enemy and his hordes throw lies at, lies at us, don't they? And what they're trying to... Because actually, the enemy can't make you do anything against your will. He can't force you to do anything. And what he does, he gives you little lies that then we dwell on. And if we dwell on them too long, they become strongholds. And they become patterns, don't they? And we need to avoid it. But the, the thing is, I don't know about you, but I've never heard a voice going, Roger, you filthy little man. That's not how the enemy talks to us, is it? He talks to us in our own voice. It's just, we think it's just me talking to me saying, I'm filthy. I'm no good. I, I, I did some things, I'll, I'll never be any good. They're lies. And that's how the enemy talks to us. It, it, you know, if we, we heard a demonic voice coming, we'd know, wouldn't we? We'd know, sense to know that if we heard that voice, he'd be lying to us. We'd We've got that much sense, haven't we? Shall I just wait till this person comes in and then you can all look back to me? Good? Okay. Are you all with me again now? This is why Scott doesn't like listening to me because I pick people out. I can see what, where you're looking. I can see what you're doing. Um, yes. So these things that are in our voice, they float around our head, don't they? Like little blackbirds whizzing around our minds. And often we can just some things are just silly. We can deal with them, can't we? But there's things we just dwell on them and let them grow in our hearts. And unless we deal with them and kick them out and turn our attention to the truth, we're going to be in a muddle. Yeah? You agree? So I've written in my notes, help. How do we fight against this so we are not influenced by lies? And the enemy's attack. And I've always already said the good news is the enemy can't make us do anything. Because that's what he makes us think. That we, that we uh, I couldn't help do that. I couldn't help being rude to that man. I, I couldn't help it. It wasn't my fault. 
It just came out. I've got no control over what I say. I've got no control over what I said to my wife. Whatever. And that's not true. That's not true. But if we believe lies, we start to believe those kind of things. We say, I couldn't help it. It's not my fault. It's the way I was brought up. My dad was like that, and I'm like that. And it's always going to be the same. Poor old me. Go down the garden and eat worms. You know that song? But the Bible doesn't talk like that, does it? No, it doesn't. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> so, 2 Corinthians. Sorry? 2 Corinthians 10. No. <laughs> yeah, 2 Corinthians 10. 3 6. <laughs> I've written three to six. <laughs> well done, Teddy. Do you want to come preach here? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, but really I put six. For though we walk in the flesh, and that's not talking about uh, the, the wrong kind of flesh, carnal, I suppose. We're in bodies, aren't we? We're walking bodies. Yeah? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's the other kind of flesh now, isn't it? They're not carnal. They're not of the flesh. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Um, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And not reading verse 6. Um, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty. The, the enemy ranged against us, he's got tricks and wiles and stuff, but the weapons that we have are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. So we've got, if we've got strongholds in our head, if we've got strongholds in our life, we can pull them down with the weapons we've been given. We can change. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Um, and we can pull down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And somewhere else, Dennis will know where it is, it says we are not unaware of his schemes. Where's that, Dennis? I haven't got that written down. Sorry? 2 Corinthians 2.11. 2 Corinthians 2.11. We are not unaware of his schemes. Ephesians 6. Finally. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes or the mind games or whatever of the devil. For we did not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to get by. Yeah? To withstand. That you may be able to withstand. If you read this with home, look at how many stand, that you can stand. Stand. There's no sense of you're going to have to sit on your bottom and let the enemy get away with things. You can stand. Um, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to give up stand having done all to stand 
Bible says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like, 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 like a roaring lion. He isn't a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. If you put your head in his mouth, he'll bite you. But he's like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Is there a theme coming through that we have to do? That we have to stand firm? We don't necessarily have to go out and punch him a few times, but we have to stand in what we have, in what we've been given. Resist. You know, he will flee if we resist him in the name of Jesus. I just want to look at the armor a little bit. I'm, I don't know about you, but I know Dennis probably does this as well. Um, you know, I pray and put on the armor every day. And, you know, not necessarily in a kind of legalistic way, but just reminding myself of what has been provided and how I can stand. So, um, it's interesting because what I've realized is we have the armor and we can stand, but it's in relationship to the spirit. You know, it says in Proverbs, the horse has been prepared for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So it's in a sense, you can put all this armor on and just stand there and you'll get overwhelmed. There's got to be some sense of it's in the power of the Spirit. It's by the power of the Spirit, by fellowship with the Spirit. You know, we put the armor on, we do our part, and we can stand because of the Spirit of God in us. Okay, so finally, my brethren, oh, I've read that bit. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Just praying, Lord, fill me with truth today. Jesus, you are the truth. Holy Spirit, you are the truth. The word is the truth. Fill me with your truth. May my mind be girded with it. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, you've made me righteous. I have no righteousness of my own, but you've made me righteous. And you've given me that breastplate. It's not covering up dirtiness underneath, in a sense. You know what I mean? It's not kind of, it is protecting us. But, you know, there's a sense we've been made righteous. There's, you know, in... in um, Corinthians, it talks about he was made sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. So it, through and through, Blackpool Rock, righteous. You know what I mean by Blackpool Rock? Is it, are you probably not allowed to eat it these days because of your little teeth and stuff, you know. The nanny state and all that kind of doesn't want your teeth to go bad. But the, the rock's got the, the Blackpool all the way through it. And that's, that's what we are, righteous all the way through. Having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Yeah? So, Lord, I want to be putting the gospel on my feet. I want to go where the gospel's taking me today. I want to have the word of the gospel in my mouth. And you, you might find different revelation from these things. Don't necessarily believe what I say. But you, and it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. So it's about faith. And I remember that uh, it talks about Saul and Jonathan, that his shield was no longer anointed. So, Lord, anoint my faith with your spirit. I want to stand in faith today. And then the helmet of salvation, which I suppose is quite relevant to today's. The helmet of salvation. Uh, a book I've read recently uh, talks about the hope. It's the hope of salvation. We need hope as a protection of our mind, but the hope of salvation, the goodness of God, you know, not just kind of any old thing. So, Lord, renew me in the spirit of my mind. We have the mind of Christ. Help me to think your way. I want my mind protected. Give me discernment to spot lies coming in, even if they're in my voice. 
and then the sword of the Spirit. And notice it's a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So it's the Word by the Spirit. It's not just mindlessly quoting verses, but it's the, the Word of God anointed by the Spirit. That's just the right thing to, to sort things out in my life. Yeah? So can I encourage you to, to meditate on the armor and to regularly put it on? Whether we have to put it on every day or not, I don't know, but it helps me. Helps me in my thinking and my meditation um, to do that. But let me return to Joshua, okay? Because there was a specific accusation of Joshua having dirty robes. Yeah, excrement and vomit. And in a sense, that's like us before we came to Christ. The Bible says our righteousness was like filthy rags. And that word there is like uh, menstrual cloths. You know, not before they've been used, but afterwards. So there's horribleness about what we try and do to be righteous. Where before we come to Christ, we're filthy and we're destined for hell. That's where we are. But we've been forgiven. We've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And let me give you some verses now. You might just want to write the verses down um, just to, to, to reinforce this. Revelation 1, 5, B. To him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, well done. Just quick. John, 1 John 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelation 7.14. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 11. has been talking about a litany of unrighteous behavior that, that we won't inherit the kingdom of God. It says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, which I've already said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The blood of Jesus uh, pleaded over our lives, sets us free from guilt. Well, firstly from sin deals with our sin, gets rid of it completely. He remembers it no more. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our sin from us. But it, it deals with guilt, shame, and condemnation. And those are some of the classic weapons the enemy uses against us. He wants us to make us feel guilty, shameful, of condemnation. George did a little kind of podcast thing on guilt the other day, didn't you? Or did I just see it the other day? You did something, didn't you? Yeah. So if those are some of the things the enemy uses against us, let's plead the blood of Jesus. Use some of these verses. He washes us completely. Because I've just been reading this book, and it's an old book, actually. And it's, uh, I know it's a book that Dennis and June uh, have. It's by Terry Law. It's called The Fight of Every Believer. And it's really helped me. Because what he said, because you know that verse, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty 
But actually, what are the weapons of our warfare? It's all very saying my weapons are mighty. But what, what are they? I don't know what they are. I've got the armor on, but what are my weapons? And so he says, we've got three weapons. The blood of Jesus. Yeah, washes us clean. The name of Jesus. You can use the name of Jesus, the animal flee. And the word of God or the word of Jesus, the Rima word. You know, you know what I mean by Rima word? It's a word that's uh, made alive to you, not just quoting scriptures. It may come that way, but it's used now. So those are things we use to fight against the enemy. The blood of Jesus, dealing with any uh, guilt, any shame, any accusation in our lives. And for me, that's, I, I was strugg I've struggled massively in this area. This is, you know, I'm, here are my uh, game, uh, was it poacher turned gatekeeper really doing this. And, and the other week I had to say to Bob, Bob, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with accusations at the moment. Um, and recently, it was just rebuking it in the name of Jesus. Set me free. And I, I, initially I said, the Lord rebuke you. And then I realized, that, hang on, I'm in the New Testament. It's the name of Jesus I use. But even the Lord rebuke you. Work. But, so it's almost like, it's not just the accusations, but it's what's behind it that's trying to... And, you know, Chris Vallotton talks about the thoughts that come like fiery darts. They almost come with a... With a, 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 a it seems like an ability to do what it's said. You know what I mean? So the lie comes, you're going to steal. Okay? Steal this lady's handbag when she's not looking. Okay? It's not just in my mind, oh, that's a terrible thought. I won't do that. But there's almost like an unction that comes. I think, yeah, I'm going to steal that handbag. You know what I mean? And we have to stand against that spiritual attack. Because if it was just thoughts in our minds, we could probably deal with it, couldn't we? But it's because it comes and it it, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you can wake up in the morning, the, the sun is shining, and you've just got a feeling that something's not quite right. A bit of a condemnatory feeling. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? I, I know I'm talking to very perfect people here, so it's going to be hard for you to come back to my level. But and then I'm going to start looking for what the problem is, and it, I'll find it eventually. It won't be the problem. It's, I'll find some condemnation or some accusation. You know, when I'm just going to say, no, that is just a, a lying feeling. I'm, I'm not having it. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, maybe it doesn't happen to you. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. This is another favorite verse. They overcome the accuser. They overcame the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. One of the points that this guy in the book makes is that we have to speak it. It's, these things are word active, uh, are voice activated. We have to speak them, not just in our heads, but we speak them out. Okay. But I want to tell you a little story about a man who had a lot of sheep. I was going to tell it about chickens, but I thought if I use sheep, it's much more biblical, so you'll receive it better. This man had a lot of sheep, and he kept them in his field behind his house. But he had a lot of trouble with a pack of wolves, not my football team, but, you know, proper wolves, snappy things, coming and stealing his sheep. And so he put up a big fence to keep them in, but they still kept getting in to get his sheep. I thought, what am I going to do? Anyway, he managed to get this uh, little army of guys with sticks and flames and all that kind of stuff. And so one night when this pack of wolves came, they went out and they just, <laughs> I was going to say what, what Les would say, but they, they beat them. Um, and really dealt with them. And so they, they basically killed most of them, uh, apart from one little, uh, little, little uh, pup. Do you call them pups, wolves? I'm not sure. Cub. A cub, yeah. Cub, like the Cub Scouts. 
Um, and so the man felt a bit compassionate towards this little cub thing. So he said, I'm going to take it in and I'll keep it with my sheep because it's a little, little, little thing. It'll be fine. And um, over a period, initially, it was just there was bite marks on some of the sheep because it was only a little thing. You didn't really have the big enough mouth. But eventually, it started eating the sheep. Obviously, it's a wolf, isn't it? You don't you know, have wolves in with your sheep. I mean, as elders, we know that we have to watch out for wolves in the flock because they come in and devour. Um, so he thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So he thought, okay, what I'm going to do, I'll have a chat with this wolf. It's a story, so anything could happen, right? Okay, you've got to suspend your disbelief. <laughs> yeah, suspend your disbelief. It could, could you do that? You know, there's good literature students. So I, I can have talking wolves and whatever, yeah? It's my story. Okay? <laughs> so, I'm going to have a chat. And I'm going to tell it, look, wolf, I forgive you for all those sheep you've eaten. And I'm going to give you a clean start. And well, let's start again. And actually, I think probably what I need to make, do is make you look a bit less wolfy. So I'm going to shave your fur, and I'm going to put on a fleece. And you'll look like a sheep. And because I know you don't really want to eat these sheep, do you? And the wolf, no, he doesn't want to eat the sheep. Just can't help it. He's a wolf. That's what wolves do. They eat sheep. So, okay, so that's great. So a couple of nights, fine. He thinks, whoa, I've cracked it really good. But then the sheep started disappearing again. And he kept telling me, look, I've told you, I've forgiven you completely. I've washed you clean, made you clean, given you this new kind of, yeah, I'm saying the wolf. I'm really, yeah, I'm really, really sorry. I, I won't do it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but it kept happening. And one of his friends said, "Look, that wolf is never going to change. It's a wolf. It's always going to eat your sheep. You're going to have to get rid of it." But he said, "No, I've got an idea. I'm going to do an operation. I'm going to take out from inside it its wolf nature. Yeah." And I'm going to make it like me, the shepherd. Yeah, so that's what he did. He took out his wolf nature and he put his own nature. Because he thought, I won't make him just like a sheep. I'll make him like me, the shepherd. He'll look after the other sheep. So instead of having a wolf that eats a sheep, I'll have a wolf that looks after the sheep. Yeah? So, that's what he did. And you know what? Apart from the occasional slip, when the wolf forgot who he was. Because he no longer had a wolf nature, he no longer wanted to eat. It took a bit of training. He had to, to learn, train him. And sometimes his old wolf mates would come and say, hey, Wolfie, chuck us a sheep out of the fence, will you? He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm no longer a wolf. I'm like the shepherd. And eventually, that wolf became the best shepherd the most passionate, compassionate, pastoral, pastor, sheeper. And, you know, the man went on to have many, many sheep and they were all safe because the wolf looked after them. You see, because not only did the father make us completely clean, he did something else. He changed our nature. Because another part of the attack, and this is worse for me, you were, say for instance, I had a problem with 
stealing. I've become a Christian now. I've been washed clean. But I still steal things. Can't help it. But actually, that's no longer my nature. The Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I, my old man, my old nature, no longer lives. The wolf in me has gone. Yeah, if I can use my little story. And we need to know that and stand that I am Christ in me. That's who I am. So when the enemy comes with his lies and accusations, when you, you know, because how he does it is this. If you got into this situation, this is what you do. Okay, that's me making a bit clean. But, you know, there's, there's a fear comes. Oh, no, what happens if I get in a situation where someone gives me 20 pounds to look after? Uh, you know, I, I, I might steal it. So I'll never get into that situation. But it doesn't work because, you know, Paul's a very generous man. He keeps saying to me, can you look after 20 pounds for me? And I'm really struggling not to take it. And, uh, but no, I'm no longer that person. And it's interesting. Uh, you've heard of, I um, can't think of his first name, Muller. What's his first name? George Muller. You know, he was a thief before he became a Christian. If you read his biography. He was a thief, but when he became a Christian, God used him in the whole area of faith for finance. He gave away millions when millions was a lot of money, you know, through faith. And it's interesting how God took what was an issue, dealt with it, and then he was able to help people. And that's what God does. So what I'm trying to say to you is, the enemy will tell you, you're no different than you were. This is, this is what you're like. This is what you'll do. And it's not true. I am a new creation. I am Christ in me. When I'm in a situation where in the past I've struggled, I will no longer struggle. Because his life is in me. And the Holy Spirit, the power of God. It's interesting, you know, reading sometimes. Jesus resisted the enemy by the power of the Spirit. He needed the power of the Spirit. And he showed us that we could be the same. We can resist by the power of the Spirit, can't we? So, um, what I'm trying to say is that the enemy comes in two ways. He tries to tell us that we're unclean, that we're shameful, but he then he tries to tell us that, that we have this nature that means we'll never be any different. We'll always be, a, uh, we'll always be a wife beater. We'll always be a thief. We'll always be this. We'll always be that. But no, I once was that, and that verse says, but I've been washed, and, and it moves it on, doesn't it? It says, I've been sanctified. I've been justified in the name of Jesus. So we need to stand firm in the facts. Because, you know, um, well-meaning people say, you know, we need to pray, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, have mercy on me as a sinner. I am not a sinner. That sin nature has been dealt with. And for you as well, it has been dealt with. I don't have a problem with sin now. I just need to learn to live by the power of the Spirit in the things. And it's interesting. I found a verse recently which has helped me. Titus 2, 11 and 12. In the New Revised Standard, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. Training us. Training us. It says in some teaching, teaching is very, oh, don't you do that. It's very naughty. But training us. See, very, you know, when you're training for something, you don't always get it right, do you? Am I, is anyone alive? Is anyone... When you're training for something, you don't, I, I saw something on the news yesterday, I didn't actually read it, but it said that the Apollo astronauts said that they crashed onto the moon a thousand times in training. 
But fortunately for them, they didn't crash onto the moon in the real thing, did they? Meaning, the grace of God is training us. We get it wrong at times. But then we, we, we ask forgiveness and we get up and we get and do it again. So, and when we're trained, we are righteous. Well, we're already righteous, but you know, but when we're trained, we're much more able. And, and so, when I stumble or something and I fall down, the enemy starts to say, see, I told you, you're, this is what you're like. You're always going to do that. That's the person you are. You, there's no hope for you. They know I'm training. I'm going to get up because I'm being trained by the grace of God. And next time after, all the time after, all the time after, all the time after. Because one of these things is we have to persevere, don't we? Have you noticed, you know, the enemy doesn't just come to you once and then leave you alone for the rest of your life. He keeps coming, keeps coming. We have to stand firm. We have to persevere. You know, it's, you can feel that, um, you know, you might have a great victory one evening and then the next morning, it feels like, where's that gone? I so said, I'm no different. What happened? And it's just the enemy trying to deceive us again, saying, see, I told you you're no different. I told you that was just a euphoric experience. I told you. No, that's rubbish. I'm being trained, and I just need to learn to stand up again and say, uh, and use the word, because that's one of the weapons, isn't it? I have been crucified with Christ, and I, Roger Bostock, no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. I am like Christ. I have his nature. I have his spirit. I can live as he lived. And that's what the training is training me to do. Okay. So, conclusion. We're called to live a holy, righteous life. To be about the Father's business. By the power of the Spirit. The enemy seeks to derail you. To deceive you. With lies that are hidden in your voice. Oh, it's almost poetic, that was. I could have wrapped it, but I was stuck. I was stuck there, and I didn't know what else to say. The, the lies are hidden in your voice. Those are the things you're, you're fighting. We need to be alert to any thought that's contrary to the Word of God. You know, I know Bill Johnson's very strong on this, isn't he? That any thought, if I have any thought that contradicts what God has said about me, I need to get rid of it. Because it's going to, you know, when the sun's shining and little dicky birds are flying around our heads, we can perhaps afford to just allow a thought or two. But, you know, it doesn't stay like that. And the weather gets dark and we get up against it. And we needed to have trained ourselves not to think that way, don't we? So we need to take immediate action to stand against wrong thoughts. We need to submit to God, clothe ourselves in the armor and resist him. And he will flee. And specifically, apply the blood of, or plead the blood sin accusation guilt or shame God to ask the Holy Spirit to give you specific scriptures I've used those because those are the ones I use um, and we uh, yeah we stand in the name of Jesus and use the name of Jesus to rebuke the enemy and we don't go silly and go kind of fighting and you know, uh, it talks in one of the later letters about people who, who malign angelic forces. That we don't do that kind of thing, but we resist the enemy when he comes behind uh, the things that come to us. Because our powerful weapons are the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the name of Jesus. These have divine power to destroy strongholds and enable us to stand against the attacks and to stand firm. Because, the, as I've said, the battle 
is relentless. It's persistent. But take heart. I've noticed actually Jesus says that in one of my versions there. Take heart. He uses that quite a lot. Take heart. But take heart. We have been given all that we need. But we need to be vigilant, alert, and persistent in standing firm. Using the weapons. Ruthless to oppose. We have to be ruthless, I think. You have to be ruthless. You, have to, you can't afford to mess about. You know, the enemy is not a gentleman. He doesn't fight to the Queensbury rules. You know, I remember before I was in the gym and I was watching some boxing as I was doing my exercise. And, you know, the guy smacked someone and he was tottering around. And he came in again and gave him a wallop. And I thought, that's not fair. The guy is just, well, that's what, how the enemy fights. He doesn't think, oh, poor old Joyce. I've given her one whack. She's tottering a bit. He said, right, let's give her another one. And that's how we do it. So we have to stand for and be ruthless to oppose stuff. Yeah. So, I'm going to pray. You might be wondering, well, you might be wondering what I'm on about, actually. You might think, what is he on about? Rock solid will we'll help you. Sort you out. There's some good teaching there. I can't, I can't, um, give you all the teaching, the foundational teaching in one session. But if you want to explore some of this, be able to ask questions, um, that would be a good place to go to, to get to grips. There's a session on renewing the mind uh, and getting your foundations right. But you might not be a Christian. You might still have filthy rags. You might still be standing there with excrement. You might be looking out the door and not listening to me. It's kind of... <laughs> It's quite hard to talk when every eye is not on you. Yeah. So, I would like every eye shut. You know how to do this now because Mark's done it. Every eye shut. No looking around. If you know that you haven't been cleansed of all your sin, you haven't been born again, you haven't known that cleansing, the first step is to to get born again, to come to know Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer. Perhaps you can pray. Perhaps we can all pray it. And then, but if you pray it for the first time, really mean it. So I'll try and spit it up, but it's quite awkward. So, so we'll all say this, but if you have never said this kind of prayer, please uh, pray it with all your heart. So Father, Thank you that you have provided the way to know you. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. All my efforts to be clean are like filthy rags. I turn away from trying to please you by my efforts and goodness. Forgive me for my sin and wash me clean. I ask you to change my nature and cause me to be born again. I trust in you, Jesus, for my salvation. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me in your righteousness. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please come and talk to me or 
Paul or Joyce. Just let someone know. But I just want to pray a general prayer that God would give us wisdom. That open our eyes, give us revelation of, of the weapons that he's given us for us to stand firm. That would show us the armor that's not just a nice little uh, not just a nice little litany in there, but there's real, real things that make a real difference in our lives. Lord, show people how to put on the armor. Show people the weapons of their warfare, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the name of Jesus. Help us to submit to you, Lord, to resist the devil and to see him flee. And I want to ask, I want to pray for two specific categories. I, for, for some of you, perhaps struggling with guilt, with shame, with condemnation over things you've done in the past or things you've done recently, you just can't free. I'm going to ask you in a moment to come forward to my, this left-hand side. And for those of you perhaps who are struggling in your thinking, you're saying, yes, I need to get a grip with my thinking. I'd like you to come forward too and stand on this side. And, and I'll ask one or two people to pray for you. We can't actually sort you out in one prayer, but we can stand with you and ask that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and help you to put into practice some of the things I've been talking about, about using the blood, using the name, using the, the word. Because as we do these things, they do work. You might have to keep doing them for you know, a long time, but you will see a change in your life. I mean, I think for me, I've struggled massively in this area, but, but God is helping me. And I trust he's helping you. So as Paul plays, and, and uh, Sarah, please could you come forward this side if you want. I mean, I know it's embarrassing, I know it's embarrassing, but sometimes we have to humble ourselves. Yeah, help, help me. We all suffer from these things.